You're listening to the Mobcast Network. And... Roll sound. Sound speeds. Marker. Action. Welcome to Between the Line, a filmmaking podcast that navigates the line between... Barrister and barista. Screenwriting and legalese. Success and... We're your hosts. I'm Drew Hall, and with me today, as always, is the... Yes. Fantastically new haircutted oh, Horst Sarubit. Hello, hello. How's everybody? Doing? Yeah, if if I talk funny today, it's because I got one of those tiny little like the oh, I got an ulcer. Uh, well, yeah, on my tongue. So like one of my taste uh, buds. Yeah, it's because I did my taxes yesterday. Probably. You might yeah. have bit your tongue in your sleep. That happens. No, no, it would happen. I spent twelve hours in front of my computer doing my taxes yesterday. Oof, that's rough. Yeah, and I just felt it like throughout the day. I think I just get nervous and start rubbing my tongue on the back of my teeth as I was looking at numbers and freaking out and not knowing what was happening and crying on the inside. And uh, eventually, I just rubbed the end of my tongue raw. I think so. If I talk funny, that's why it's the taxes' fault. I understand. I understand. So I almost segued in. Speaking of talk funny, yeah. but no. Um, there's no segue to go into it. So let's just roll in and real quick, just plug our sponsors. We want to thank, uh, screenplayreaders.com where you can go and enter the code between the line podcast, or I'm sorry, just between the line, uh, at the coupon code and you get 10% off. Um, which is good. Yeah, uh, that, great. And we say this a lot, but definitely getting an outside eye on your creative vision is important. If, you know, if for nothing else, you forget the line between what you know and what you've put on the paper. I can't tell you how many times I've written something and I'll like, you know, I'll give it to somebody to read and they'll go like, well, I don't understand. You never said, you know, this about this person. I'm like, well, of course. And then I realized I just assumed because I knew that character for so long that everybody would know that, you know, they only had one eye or whatever it was. No, it totally makes sense. So, uh, yeah, uh, you can go to screenplayreaders.com, enter between the line of the coupon code and get 10% off. Fosco Coffee, as we always thank, because they kind of provided us the Fosco Studios. And kept me kept me focused for twelve hours while doing my taxes yesterday. <laughs> and still high. Uh, the other thing is we want to we want to give a shout out real quick to our producer Chris Lott, who works tire- tirelessly to put this stuff together and deals with my very pedantic. Can you cut? two frames and he doesn't know what that means in audio land yeah maybe no. it's, it's not notes i don't know what you subframes, whatever they have um so we wanted to we wanted to thank chris he does a fantastic job can you add a filter that makes me sound more manly yeah i need a manly filter a manly filter chris is great he's awesome he's he's kind of the the heart and soul the strong back behind this thing that keeps us going and we have a little interview with him that we'll play at some point that's kind of fun uh, in which he brings up the need of a contract which is the crappiest and best way i've ever segued into our topic today. The uh, lovely and talented and lawyer-esque Stacey, Stacey Davis. Yeah, oh, okay. I was going to try to say it together. Oh, oh. Yeah, we it up. Oh, try that again? Yeah? Yeah. All right. The lovely and talented Stacey, Stacey Davis. Davis. It was okay. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, and just a little, you'll hear me say it, but Stacey is also my attorney. So here is the interview with Stacey Davis. Okay, so here we are with the lovely and talented and super awesome and kicks me in the face, Stacey Davis, who's also, and, and the reason she kicks me in the face is she's actually also my uh, counsel, my attorney. I like saying counsel. It makes me feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings or something. Now, is that is that a, an actual term? Like, is if Drew says counsel, is there something wrong with that? Or is that okay to say in a legal way? Yeah, no, it's definitely okay to say. Most, I mean, counsel, lawyer, attorney, they're all, or counselor, they're all pretty um, interchangeable. Yeah, because I got some funny looks when I was in New Zealand and called somebody a barista instead of a barrister. I, you know, it was embarrassing, but, uh, you know. 
So um, thank you for joining us today. Um, I think usually we want to start off just by getting getting your story, you know, who, who you are, how you came to be a, an entertainment lawyer, and um, your journey into and through the film world. Um, so how would you get started? Yeah, so I have, um, in terms of my legal career, I've been practicing for about 15 years. I started with a large um, national law firm and started to do primarily was focusing on commercial litigation, you know, businesses fighting each other in court. And I always had uh, a love and an interest in film. And I started volunteering for the Sidewalk Film Festival, which is located in Birmingham. And I was meeting a lot of filmmakers and those filmmakers, you know, knew I was a lawyer and started asking me questions, questions that I, of course, had no answer to because I didn't know anything about entertainment law. But um, started digging around and researching and helping them out and just really um, discovered that I had a passion for entertainment law, specifically as relates to film and television. So I started pursuing that more and more, doing it on the side. And I was really, you know, one of the only ones at my old law firm who who was practicing entertainment law. You know, we had offices in Atlanta and Nashville and New Orleans and, you know, some really great uh, film hubs in the South and nobody was really doing this kind of work. So they were sending it to me in Birmingham, which allowed me um, to build a, a really great entertainment law practice, one that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was just sort of on my own in Birmingham starting out. So, you know, 10, 12, 13 years goes by and really have started to build up an active entertainment law practice and decided it was time to uh, go on my own. My son was entering first grade and I knew I wanted to have a more flexible schedule. So I opted to form my own law firm and focus exclusively on entertainment law and intellectual property. So um, very fortunate that I've been able to segue sort of life uh, in a big law firm to now life in my office upstairs of my house. <laughs> yeah. And so what's your, which was the first passion? Was it film or was it law? You know, like uh, the, the teenage you, which one was the thing you focused on? I mean, I always knew, it sounds so silly. How can you know at like 10 years old? I always kind of knew that I was going to go to law school. I don't have any clue why. I just, I don't know what it was, but I just kind of knew that's what I was going to do. And, and I did, you know, that was the path that I took. Um, but film was always a passion for me. I've been writing, in addition to um, practicing law, I'm also a writer uh, and, and producer. So I've been writing in high school and sort of toiling around with that and have, now that I have a more flexible schedule, been able to really dedicate a lot more time to that and really grow grow that. But I've always loved film. Um, my mom was a huge film buff and most, you know, instead of spending Saturdays and Sundays at the park or at the beach or, you know, we watched films. We watched a ton of films and wow. I just loved it. I loved everything about it. It was very seductive and sexy to me. And, and I've just sort of followed that all along. And the fact that I was able to merge my legal career with that passion. I mean, I just, I knock on wood every day as to how lucky I am. That's, that's the thing is, uh, you know, I always see it as that that synergy that and I hate using those businessy terms, but I mean, it, I don't know what else to say. But like, it it always seems like everyone we've talked to that really loves film and and has a part in the in the film industry, 
um, always has a, a secondary reason or secondary um, attachment to it. So yours is obviously law and as a writer. So you have two different angles, which is perfect. And part of the reason why Between the Line exists is because that's fascinating to me. It, it That it doesn't always have to be the, the you know, sometimes the industry likes to just block people in little chunks. Like you will be a genre director or you will be a genre writer uh, or you will be an entertainment attorney. And here you are and you're kind of like, changing the whole game all over the place, um, which I think is awesome. So congratulations and, and thank you for being so badass. <laughs> well, I don't know how badass I am, but, you know, thank you. Oh, you're badass. I can tell you you're badass. Stacey, I was going to ask, um, is there, having done all the law and now specifically entertainment law, uh, and having had the passion for film the whole time, how has the um, entertainment law informed your creativity? Because uh, I know for me, if I'm writing a script, you know, I'm going crazy and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to be totally creative. And then I'll start thinking about budget and that'll start changing and affecting what I'm writing. And then I'll start thinking about, you know, legal stuff like, oh, man, can I actually do this? Can I write about this person or this historical event or can't, you know, oh, I just said the word Pepsi because he's making fun of Pepsi. Can I do that? Um, so that that affects my my creative process, and I was wondering, has has your legal experience affected your creative process in a good way or in a bad way? You know, I'm I'm sure it has. I don't think that I can, when I'm putting pen to paper, that I completely escape my legal background and training. So I'm sure it seeps in there. I don't know that I can specifically think of an example where it's maybe stunted my creative juju or anything like that, but but I'm sure it makes its way in there because, you know, those are the kinds of issues that I look at day in and day out. So when I am writing, you know, I don't think I've ever written anything that has, um, you know, had, like that Pepsi reference, for example, like that's just, I wouldn't write in Pepsi because I think my brain is trained to know, like, you don't, you don't need it. You don't want it. It hasn't served a creative purpose for me at least yet. Um, and I sort of am aware of that in the back of my mind, but I think it also has, you know, less in terms of the actual legal areas of the law. I think it's informed my writing and impacted my writing just in terms of like the mechanical nature of legal practice. And, you know, this is how you draft a motion and this is what goes in a demand letter. So that's sort of very formatted mechanical way of practicing, I think has definitely trickled over into my um, writing style and has made me a very mechanical screenwriter in terms of like following the rules and things like that. And I think that's what I need to um, probably learn to break out of a lot more. Now there's you know, look, we, we've talked to the, one of the things that's been interesting is we've, we've grown just as writers listening to other writers. I mean, that's the the beauty of, of community. And so what you just said is now making me think, can I write um, generically enough not to call that out? And, you know, especially I'll use a Southern colloquialism. I think that's the right term. But, you know, down here, we call everything Coke, whether it's Sprite, it's Coke. If it's Dr. Pepper, I'll have a Coke. It doesn't really matter. So we just say Coke. So it's actually a weird Sometimes you you should put in soda pop or whatever you Yankees say, but we we would pop. say <laughs> pop, right? Uh, we would say so. Uh, we would say Coke. So uh, I, I want to talk about on your writing side. I mean, you had a project, um, and I think correct me if I'm wrong. You guys have a, a really cool premiere for it coming up. But for the sibling code, um, that's something you wrote and produced, right? That's right. 
can you talk a little bit about the sibling code and and maybe you know because you're premiering it oxford are you premiering at oxford film yeah, festival we're at oxford film festival next weekend so we're really super excited about that um the sibling code came to be i guess late 2014 so i'd been writing um features for a while just specs trying to throw them out there and you know see what kind of attention i could get etc and my husband and I had been talking for a long time about wanting to make a short, um, just to kind of put one of these projects that I had written, put it to the test, go through that process, just see what it's like. And it's something that we've always talked about and just never got around to doing, whether it was, you know, work or kids or money or whatever. You always have a thousand and one excuses. Well, in 2014, we were at the Sidewalk Film Festival, um, which if anyone is not familiar with Sidewalk, it is an amazing festival. I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, we left a screening. I think it was a shorts block. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, we can do this. We need to do this. 2015 is the year. So I um, worked up a short script. It was a comedy. That's kind of my, my forte if I have one. Um, and we put together a budget and we decided, you know, we're we're going to make this. We're going to do this in 2015. And initially, the plan was to make it locally in Birmingham. We had talked with a production company. You know, this is my first time. I knew I wanted to write and produce. I did not um, feel like that I had the skill set to direct it. So I really felt we needed to bring um, like an outside production company on. So we had been talking with some folks in, in Birmingham and and we were you know ready to go. And we said, my husband and I said, you know, if, if we're going to do this, if we're going to put our money into this, then we really need to make sure it's the best that it can be. And I had read this book called How Not to Make a Short Film by Roberta Monroe, who is a former, um, the book is kind of considered, you know, the Bible for short filmmaking. She's a former programmer at Sundance, and she has uh, written and directed a couple of her own shorts and then just produced, um, you know, a dozen or more shorts. So I sent it to her just to get her feedback. And she called me up like later that day or the next day. It was super quick. And she said, I love it. I want to direct it. And we're like, whoa, wow, that's awesome. So she came on board and everything kind of changed from there. Instead of shooting in Birmingham, we decided to shoot in L.A. And it was a SAG production. And we just had a fantastic crew and super talented cast. And it came together. I think I finished the script in December, sent it to her in January. She came on board late January. We crowdfunded in March and April, and we shot it May 2nd and 3rd in L.A. So it was like boom, 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 boom. And, yeah, now we're premiering at Oxford Film Festival. We just found out we got into Chattanooga Film Festival, and we're starting to apply, obviously, to festivals all over the country and internationally. And we just hope that 2016 is a really fun year for us to travel to festivals and meet filmmakers and go on a ride. No, that's see, that's what I'm saying. Like that's fantastically, that's hard work driving you to a point to push you out of your comfort zone, to do something else. And, and that's good. I mean, that's how, um, that's the story. So like in, you know, three years when you, when you've, uh, sold a couple scripts or you're optioned or sibling code is a feature or whatever it is, we can bring you back on and play a snippet from you saying that and we'll see see you took the risk and that paid off and we have evidence of it right it becomes empirical at that point by the way Stace, just so you know you're in a you're in good company because it seems like everybody that works with drew ends up being really really successful and it's one thing uh, you know you look around he's got tons of people that work with him and suddenly they're popping big popping in hollywood so expect a call from steven spielberg uh, very soon just because of the fact you're hanging out with drew here
Well, if I can throw the love right back at Drew, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan. So to see what he's been able to do with his career in just a few short years really is truly inspiring. It, it, it's It's been an amazing thing to watch. And I've been proud to be associated with it in some very, very small way. I, 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 all I am is a mirror. That's what I like to say. I'm just a mirror. All I do is reflect back how I, I told somebody the other day, um, the best thing in the world is to always hire smarter than you. And once you do that, that's the secret. Um, so I'm, I'm a big old dummy. It's just that I, the smartest thing I ever did was hire people way more brilliant than me. Um, I wanted to touch on something real quick. You mentioned, um, uh, directing that you, you didn't feel comfortable. I mean, is that something that you do want to do at some point? I mean, is, is directing a goal of yours to as far as uh, projects go? Yeah, I, th I think it is. Now that I've sort of seen the process and I, I'm not saying that I could go do it and knock it out of the park, but it's definitely something that I'd like to try. You know, I'm developing my next short, um, which is probably going to be a bit too expensive to do live action. So I've actually been talking to a couple of animators um, trying to partner up. And, and I think that that is one where I will take on the reins of director. So that that's kind of very secretly exciting to me. Uh, Horst and I do this thing where we exchange um, Figure symbols. Figure out who's going to ask a question next. And he, and, he, <laughs> and he wasn't looking at me. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, I, was, um, I was just going to ask you on the... Um, often in film, there's some sort of legend that hovers around. You know, like you, there'll be a, the legend of the uh, super grip who, uh, you know, one day took a director, famous director to task. Or, you know, there's always something going... I was, I was wondering, is there an entertainment law legend is there some amazing story that you've heard of about some entertainment lawyer you know saving something or or somebody really dropping the ball and really you know causing somebody a you know a huge headache or grief any any good fun stories oh gosh that's such a great question i i don't know that i know of anything like that off the top of my head um <laughs> I have I have a, a legend that I've heard, and um, I want to ask you if you think this is plausible, because uh, it seems so far beyond what could happen to me, but may maybe it is. So there, at one point, somewhere in time, there was a nameless film uh, that was a very high high uh, high budget film, and it was a film that they had the um, the rights to a. Um, to a meet like a, you know this thing came out in a different media say a book or a comic book but it also came out as a TV show or a video game as well so he had these two different you know medias with the same name you know title X was originally a book and eventually became a video game and now they're making this big budget movie so they spend you know, you know hundreds of millions of dollars there they're about to start making the movie and about a week before they start to make the movie uh, they find out that they purchased the rights and had all the rights secured for the book, but not for the video game. And they were gearing most of the movie based on content from the video game. So at the last minute, you know, millions of dollars are spent to try to find, you know, acquire rights and, you know, lawyers come in and try to try to get all this out. And to me, that seems like, like, how do you have all this, you know, this army of people, this money? and let something like that slip by you. Does that seem like it's not true, it's just a legend, or does that seem like something that could actually happen in a big scenario like that? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think that is something that could happen, and those are the kind of nightmare scenarios that keep lawyers awake at night. Um, because at the end of the day, we, all, we are all just human, and we make mistakes, and, and 
that's what I would chalk that up to. Whether, I mean, regardless of the fact if it's a $50 million mistake, it's still a mistake at the end of the day. So, you know, a number of things could happen there. You know, the left hand not talking to the right hand or them thinking that they had, you know, the business side of the equation, right? The lawyers or the producers, they knew that they had rights in a certain literary work, the underlying book. But then you have the writer who goes off and bases everything on the video game because the writer doesn't necessarily know what kind of rights the production company and their lawyers have negotiated for. So they kind of think, well, it's all the same entity. It's all the same kind of project. So it doesn't matter where I pull from. Um, and, and the writer could have just gone on and then and not and then the business side, the legal side, not have known that. So you can really see, I mean, Drew, obviously you and I work together and and we talk um, and I handle the legal issues, but I'm not involved in the creative issues. So I have to rely on what you're telling me. So if you're telling me that you're making or you're writing a script based upon um, this particular work, then I'm going to secure those rights to that particular work. But if you go out and you incorporate things from another work and you don't tell me you've done that and you don't tell me that that's going to be part of the final project, then I don't know to advise you that, hey, you need the rights in the comic book as well. So you can really see that breakdown in communication when the business side and the creative side aren't always communicating openly. But that also kind of goes into IP, right? I mean, if we start talking about intellectual property, I mean, you know, uh, we won't disclose what what it is, but you and I have been working on a, a, a beefy trademark and an IP issue that we've been dealing with, right? And so doesn't that kind of go hand in hand? I mean, isn't the... Does it happen that way sometimes where the the original property was then licensed? So this 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 book that in horse example, this book was licensed to then a video game or whatever the other medium was. Um, The IP umbrella doesn't cover that whole thing. So when you secure the rights, you're only you can you can literally only secure and no derivative works come with part of that license. Is that kind of how that 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 plays out? Yeah, I mean, the devil's in the details. So what does that particular rights agreement say? You know, in the paragraph that grants the filmmaker production company the right to use the underlying work, what what's the breadth of that language? Does it say that they have rights in the underlying work plus any and all derivative works creative, you know, created there under? Or does it say you only have the right to make a film from this particular book? I mean, it really depends upon what the language is. And it sounds like in that particular case, the language did not cover this additional element to the project that the derivative project, you know, was based on. And therein lies the rub. Well, so uh, let's is it OK? I'm asking you and now officially, I guess you, you can start your clock and then send me the bill because I'm asking a legal <laughs> question right now. Um I was gonna I was gonna use convergence uh, as an example of, of a couple of things, and I wanted to, I wanted to see if that is that okay for me to do legally, since I'm the writer. So okay, say so you. So yeah, I just I had a to... question regarding convergence. I, I just oh. are we okay to talk about some legal oh, stuff? Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. So what's the question? Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the a clearance, and I don't mean title clearance. I'm talking about the clearance. Um, you know, when you get a script clearance and it goes through and they scan it for. Um, names, uh, I forget what they call, I think it's called a clearance report, but they scan it for name. All right. So let's talk about clearance report. So for example, um, I named a character in the film, the lead character played by Clayne Crawford is named Ben Walls. And I named him after the friend of mine who died 
uh, that suddenly died of cancer um, that kind of triggered me into writing this script. And I wrote his name in to kind of help me as a cathartic method and uh, catharsis, whatever. And I ended up talking to um, I know his wife and his wife was OK with it because it's it doesn't represent her husband in any way, but it does she knew that I was hurt by, by having a loss. So I have his name in. So that comes back in a clearance report that there's no, um, police officers in city named this cause he's a cop in the movie. Um, what about, so that's one part of it. And then the other side of it is, you know, I base this on real events from my past and in history. So for example, you know, we referenced the Centennial Park bombing in Atlanta. We referenced several abortion clinic bombings. They were all real events that happened in the 90s. Um, we were even granted um, legally cleared, but we were granted like some footage we could use to help set up that world. How does that process, like what is that process like, you know, in the script clearance world? you know, going through that is, is that become a gray area? Is it something you really need to get the script clearance because it's super crucial or is it something that, you know, unless it's a blatant obvious one, like Pepsi, you know, somebody doing something, let's not pick on Pepsi, but somebody blatantly picking on a big brand. Can you kind of touch on the clearance side of it? Cause it's, it's a little gray area that I didn't run into until I started, you know, having the money to afford you. Sure. Yeah. So let me just uh, break it down for any listeners who may not be familiar with these types of reports. So there's a script clearance report that is done sort of in the development pre-production stage. And that report, you give the script to a lawyer or clearance service, they review the script and they notate and highlight any particular troublesome areas. So if there is, um, you know, a character name, for example, like you used Ben Walls, if he would have been living in a cop in the same city that you were um, filming, then that would be a flag. So the lawyer or the clearance uh, person puts the production company or the filmmaker on notice like, hey, this might be a troublesome area down the road. You might want to consider changing the name. Or if there is some like defamatory language against somebody, they, they'll make a note of it. Uh, if there's a particular song that's referenced, they'll make a note like, hey, this will need to be cleared. You know, anything that puts the filmmaker on notice that something will need to be is problematic or will need to be cleared down the road is identified in a script clearance report. Then once the film is shot and in the can, and when you're going to get E&O insurance and seek distribution, oftentimes an E&O provider will ask for what is called a film clearance report. And it's very similar to a script clearance report, but it's, um, it's a report based on the completed film rather than the script. So the same kinds of things are identified. You know, if there's any... Um, locations or music or posters or artwork or names or defamatory language, anything like that, um, the the attorney will highlight, you know, what is not cleared, what may be a problematic area, what needs to be cleared, what needs to be changed, et cetera. So those are, those are two reports that filmmakers find very, very helpful. And sometimes they're even required based upon the needs and requests of the E&O insurance provider. I personally have found um, that it really comes down, particularly for a script clearance report, it really comes down to whether or not the filmmaker has any kind of initial concern that there may be some problematic areas. So it's a service that I always offer to my clients and let them know that, and I generally build into sort of the a package of services. 
But many times the filmmaker will be like, look, this is a wholly original story. I didn't base it on anyone. I don't think, you know, I just don't think uh, there's no artwork. There's no, I don't think there's any troublesome spots. And they'll be like, I'm going to save X amount of dollars and I'm not going to do that. And that's their business decision. So I just leave it completely up to the filmmaker. But I say more often than not, the filmmaker likes that sort of assurance to know what might be the the potholes or, or pitfalls that that might be contained in, in the current version of the script before they go out and shoot it. Does well, that answer your question? It does. It does. And it, it sparks off kind of another question for me. When when somebody's doing a project that is based on something that really happened, you know, um, you know, a true events thing. And <clears throat> I can see, you know, let's say everybody's dead. So, you know, you're doing the history of Greece is one thing, but let's say it's something that's, you know, still around, you're doing something on, you know, a brutal dictator in such and such, or, you know, there's a, you know, let's say there's a, a you know, horrible sheriff off in some county in Texas who did something terrible. And, it, you know, it, it's hit the news. You might have read an article on it, but it's a, you know, it's a real story. Obviously, that's going to complicate this sort of thing a lot more. Is there a particular kind of just rule of thumb with dealing with this sort of thing when, when trying to approach this sort of project? Or do you just go at it and then hand it over to a lawyer and figure it out? What would you suggest? No, I mean, if you're if you're contemplating that kind of project on the front end, I do think it's helpful to talk for a lawyer to a lawyer really before you start to put substantial time into the script, because you need to talk through about really what kinds of clearances and releases you may need. So, for example, if, like you said, if it's something about ancient Greece, okay, fine. Everybody knows that you're in the clear there. But what if it happened in the 1970s and some people are alive and some people are dead and the people, it's a little known story, so the people weren't super famous. So maybe you have some concerns about invasion of privacy for the people that are still living. Or maybe you have um, some concerns about defamation or liable because of what you're, you know, about to say in in the film. So I think that you do when you you're talking about something where there are folks who are still living, um, and it's not something that is like necessarily splashed over all of the front page of every single paper, and you're really just incorporating a series of facts. But if you're getting into so facts that are, you know, printed in newspapers and whatever, I mean, everybody knows about them. You're not invading anyone's privacy because it's already publicly known, et cetera. What I'm really talking about are stories where there are some still living individuals and it, they're not considered, you know, public figures per se. And you might be revealing information that they would find sensitive, et cetera. That's where you really need to have an open and honest conversation with your attorney and say, okay, exactly what kinds of um, issues am I going to face? What kinds of clearances and releases may I need? Or am I perfectly fine and in the clear? Yeah, which is, um, you know, it, going into the that side of it, I mean, obviously, anytime you're making any, any sort of project that deals with personal life, you always have to be careful, which is also my segue into, let's talk about your personal life. Do you like that? I've been practicing. I've been saving that one up. Uh, I think we alley-ooped that one. Uh, so can, can we talk a little bit about it? Because, I, I, you know, you mentioned you, your son went, was going to the first grade. Um, and so you married. You have one kid, right? Yep. All right. So can we can we talk? How do you balance things out? I mean, one of the things you touched on was that you um, you kind of stepped out on your own, so you had a little more control. You know, like any business owner, it, you you have control of your your destiny at that point. I mean, how what is your balance like? Because I know that I've called you 
uh, we had something come up and I called you at a Friday at 530 or whatever it was, some crazy, oh, Stacy, I don't know, you know, um, I've gone through that. How does, what is your balance like in that, in that capacity? Well, you know, I think um, I'm going to answer this in a couple of different ways. One is given that I am an entertainment lawyer in Birmingham, Alabama, most people do not make the connection that Birmingham would be a mecca for all things film and TV. And to be honest, it isn't. So I don't have, you know, all of my clients are not located in Alabama. In fact, a majority of my clients are located outside of Alabama. So I really have a national practice. So that means I have clients on all the time zones. And I, in order to differentiate myself from the New York and LA lawyers, because those are really my primary competition, you know, I need to set myself apart. So a couple of the things that I've done is one, I generally have lower rates because the cost of living in Birmingham is much lower than LA and New York. So I've differentiated myself on those grounds. I'd like to think I've differentiated myself with experience um, as I've gotten older, but really I like to set myself apart by telling my clients and letting them know that I am available when they need me. And I know a lot of people sort of have issue with this, like being on call 24 hours a day, but I'm not one of those people that do because I because it's not 24 hours a day every day. So when you need me at 5.30 on a Friday, I'm going to be there. When you need me at 1 o'clock on a Sunday, I'm going to be there. Because I might have had Monday where, you know, I had two hours worth of a contract that I was drafting, but I wasn't busy all day. So I was able to handle all those things that I'm doing on Saturday and Sunday so I can be available to you. So I want my clients to know that I understand that the entertainment industry is unpredictable. I understand that you're shooting at night and in the morning and on weekends. And I want my clients to know that whenever they need me, that I'm going to be there for them. So, so that's how I, so in terms of like balancing my work and home life, it's really, there isn't much of a separation in terms of um, when I'm available to my clients, but being on my own, I'm not working the 60 hours a week that I was working at a law firm. My billable hours are reduced. My actual working hours are reduced. And what that's done is given me a lot more time. For example, when I'm home at, you know, when my son gets home at three o'clock, I'm here for him. I'm, I'm there. And maybe I'll take a phone call at four or four 30, but I'm here when, when he needs me. And, you know, I'm here when I want to work on my screenplay. I have the flexibility to do that. So it really, for me, the work-life balance has worked out extremely well just because of how the hours work and being here for my son and then, you know, being able to be here for my clients. So that's, that's sort of one answer to that question. The other side of it is, and this is going to sound ridiculously cliche, but I don't care because it's the 100% truth. I have the most awesome and supportive husband in the world. He doesn't care if he's, you know, he'll chip in to do dishes. He'll chip in to do laundry. He'll take Charlie to the park if I'm like on a creative wave and I want to write for two hours. We are absolutely, and then I'll do the same for him, you know, with respect to his work schedule. We are absolutely 100% a partnership and I'm just crazy mad about him and it works really, really well. And that's how we're able to do it. It's one of the things that we um, I, I bring it up because I think it's important is that it, I, I found personally like in, in you know, you, you know, as a as a writer and as a producer and one day director, uh, removing the entertainment uh, attorney side from it, you know, how mu how demanding this business can be and, and how much it can take out of you. And so it's always nice to, to ask that question and 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 kind of put perspective on 
you know, the reality of it. We, we have a dream. We all share a dream of being, you know, uh, film professionals. Um, and, and the three of us in, in this conversation, writer, writers and directors and producers. But then there's the other side of like, how do you go back and make sure that you, you know, because at the end of the day, I, I hear the same story from from my dad all the time, which is and, he, and he's a he's a doctor and he tells me the same thing, which is, you know, I look back now and there's some things I wish I would have been, you know, not quite as aggressive career wise um, and maybe spent a little more time with um, with the family. So I think it's important to bring it up. And obviously you've you've started to find that way to carve it out and balance both. And I think, you know, that's what we have at the end of the day. Our family is is why I'm doing it as hard as I am. And I'm sure that's the same for you is it's, it's a passion um, that can be profitable. Absolutely. All right. So we have a little thing we like to do at the 41 minute mark. And um, so we've kind of reached that. And that is just to throw a question at you. It's going to be movie related. We're going to throw a question at you. And you just got to go with the first one that pops into your head because it, it just makes for a better, better experience. So are you ready for this? Horse will fire you the question. Here we go. What is your favorite law? Movie, movie about law. <laughs> oh gosh, it, uh, the first one that pops in my head is Legal Eagles. Have you guys seen that? Legal Eagles, that's awesome. Drew, do you have one? Um, I, I would say Pelican Brief. Nice. Well, nice. Pelican. I, I'm gonna go with Perry Mason, The Case of the Killer Kiss, because it's his last one, and I just I don't know. As a kid, I watched a lot of Perry Mason, and he was uh, he was the dude, man. He was awesome. Have you guys seen Legal Eagles? I have seen Legal Eagles. My um, my uh, that's Robert Redford, right? Yeah. Yep, I've seen it. So what what about Legal Eagles? Do you like what is it that? Uh, that kind well, of I'm just a Robert Redford fan in general, and he just plays this really silly, dopey character that I like a lot. And and Deborah Winger's great, and it's just yeah. And Daryl Hannah's so I don't know why I'm just. I need to go back and watch it. It's a funny movie. And I think it's a drama, but to me, I find it more funny well, than dramatic. Is, this is why we have the 41-minute question. Makes you think of something you haven't thought about in a while. Um, I th Real quick, probably in just a couple minutes, is there any like tips that you want to give to independent filmmakers about you know about law stuff? Uh, obviously, the first one I can say is, is get an entertainment lawyer. Uh, but in anything else, just, you know, kind of the top mistakes or, or things that people should know going into independent filmmaking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think, um, it is important to consult with, with an entertainment law early in the process. Um, I've worked with a number of filmmakers who come to me, you know, at the distribution or E&O stage and, you know, want me to assist them and I'm happy to do so, and, and I will do so, but they could have saved themselves a lot of work and a lot of legal fees on the front end if they would have been paying attention to, example, things like um, clearance issues, um, rights acquisition, making sure that they're really papering the file with the writer agreement or the literary purchase acquisition agreement, that they're copywriting their scripts, that they're recording assignments, that they're putting assignments in writing, you know, all of these things that are necessary at the end of the line to get your copyright clearance report, to get your um, chain of title. They kind of, I think some filmmakers, particularly independent filmmakers, a lot of it is you don't know what you don't know. And I completely understand that. And everybody's learning as we go along. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's also a tendency where if you don't know, and it's, seems kind of scary or kind of a pain in the butt, then you tend to push it off until the very end. 
and and that can just really um, you know come back to bite you. So I would say get an entertainment lawyer involved early in the process. Um, whether you're working with someone like me or or somebody else, I know that there are a lot of great entertainment lawyers out there who recognize that independent filmmakers are not working with $25 million budgets. They recognize that there are um, budget constraints and are willing to work with a wide variety of of budgets on a wide variety of projects. So don't be scared off by the fact that you think they're going to be super expensive or anything like that. Because really at the end of the day, everybody has the same goal. They want, you want to make a movie and they want to help ensure that you're making it correctly. Um, You know, just like you wouldn't think about going off and and making a movie with um, some crap camera or without, you know, an original or any type of music or anything in your film, you really shouldn't be making a movie without a a lawyer because they're really there to serve a crucial purpose, which is to ensure that the project and the ownership of the project is vested in you and your production company. And then at the end of the day, you're going to be able to exploit this creation, this, this piece of art that you've created they want you to be able to exploit that in the commercial marketplace or wherever it is that you want to exploit it. But if you don't have the rights, if you haven't entered into the contracts, if you haven't taken the necessary steps to document everything, then you're not going to be able to do that. So I think it's just a matter of realizing that um, lawyers want to be on the same team. Awesome. Um, so with that, I'm, I'm going to you know go ahead and give the plugs for it and, and say uh, you know if you would like to um follow stacy on twitter it's uh, at stacy davis law you can find her on facebook uh facebook slash uh stacy davis law uh you can also go to her website which is stacydavislaw.com um i can't recommend her enough because uh uh that would be conflict of interest wait no i can recommend her. whatever I'm saying you should call her because she's fantastic. So with that, Horston, I just wanted to say thank you. We'd love to maybe have you on again, have another conversation if you'd be up for that. Yeah, absolutely. I had fun. Thank you so much for having me. Slash punks! Seriously, Legal Eagles. Have you ever seen it? We talked um, about it. Have you, you actually know, seen it? I don't know. Maybe when I was a kid or something on TV. I mean, I know the movie. Like, she said that I knew that I'd seen it. I remembered Robert Redford. I don't remember... Um, who, who Daryl Hannah, I think is what was she it Daryl Hannah? Yeah, I think so. I thought it was Deborah Winger. Either way, yeah, same person, really. God, they're gonna hear that and want to punch. Yeah, me. well, that's why we have attorneys. Yeah, yeah, she'll tell us to bleep <laughs> all those names out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, that was actually really... Perry, Perry Mason, though. <laughs> Dude, he was the man. Yeah. He was always, you know, like you know, there was Matlock, but but Perry Mason. But it was it was that one black and white, or was it when he went to color? Uh, that was his last movie. That was actually 1993. Just as oh, okay. uh, you know, not to date me. So those. it was black and white. Yeah, yeah, that long ago, <laughs> jerk. Uh, and, but no, I don't know. He was also a dude. He was a good guy. That um um, he was yeah. a man's man. He was a man's no, actually he, he was literally a man's man. But that's a totally different story entirely. Uh. But but Raymond Burr was actually a really nice guy from everything that I hear. Like, he, although he had success and money, he was very um, generous with it, and uh, you know gave to a lot of charities. And was generally you know that kind of person we hope all celebrities would be. Gotcha. So okay, so you heard a podcast from an attorney who's yes. also a very accomplished screenwriter, who's also just a cool person. I've spent plenty of time on the phone with her, and even though she likes Michigan State. I don't. I I like Michigan State, except when they played Alabama. So that's a separate (laughs) issue. Roll Tide. Um, That's for you, Stace. Um, She's she's fantastic, and she's done a lot. So you know, I'm a big fan. And of course, we mentioned uh, convergence uh, in there. Your your uh, (laughs) 
our frame 29 but drew that's uh, that is your your baby you wrote and directed and produced yeah. and I saw you gripping a few times. I saw you running the camera a few times. I saw you. I just... don't know if I ran the camera. Per okay, se. okay. A side B C <laughs> I mean, camera. Thing. I might have looked at it. Yeah, uh, I saw you doing all kinds of stuff. Okay, and this you know is very much a passion project for you, right? You yeah, say? no, it was. I mean, it was. It's a risky project. Yeah, um, and the interesting thing for me because I have a little bit of separation, not much. I'm very obviously tied to this film. I'm close to it. I, you know, I did some second unit stuff for you. I helped you with the VFX, um, you know, help push things through on the end, but this is your baby. And as we're, you know, sitting here talking, it's been freshly released. It, we had a, a couple theaters um, on last week and this week we released on VOD. So the multiple platforms of VOD, which is right. iTunes and Amazon and all that. Um, and and also to the reviews and, and and to the reviews those polarizing reviews set them to the slaughter. Um, so, what's that like? And don't pull a Cam Newton on me. You got to stay here for this uh, interview. No, no, I'm I'm cool with it. Look, uh, it is uh, because it's such a personal film. When you get a positive review, you're like, yeah, I know that because I already know how good of a movie. But it's when you get a negative review in this case where you're just you're suddenly it's like getting kicked royally in the face throat and you know as a male in the the male parts the nose um, the nose yeah it's like getting kicked pretty hard sometimes and so you have to deal with it and and you know the reviews are polarizing in some ways it there's very few like down the middle <laughs> it's yeah. either they love it and like it and get it or they hate it and and i think there's you know and that's fine i, yeah. I i'm not offended by I, I i'm as subjective as they are i assure you i just you know you try yeah. to keep that in your head <laughs> you try and roll it around and it just it so still hurts. Yeah, it totally hurts. So, um, okay. So there's the critics. There's the people looking yeah. at the film yeah, yeah. and all that. But also, I mean, your film, right? Right now, I don't know. Right now, when you listen to this, but right now, I'm looking at a computer screen yep. at iTunes, and you're right next to the Revenant. Yeah, that's kind right. of fun, right? You're, oh, I, took, I did take a picture. I can't help it. Yeah. I'm a nerd. Yeah, took a picture at one point. During the release, it was Return of the Jedi on the left, <laughs> Convergence in the middle, to the right was Guardians of the Galaxy, and to the right of Guardians was Star Wars A New Hope. Oh, wow. And I can't even begin, like, talk about perfect company for me. Like, yeah. Convergence is not even close to, it's not that kind of sci-fi, right? Yeah. It's just not. But the fact that we're sitting right there uh, is always a good feeling to just to see the movies that inspired me. A new one being Guardians, but Star Wars, especially those two. Yeah. My goodness. If Empire had been in the mix, but even better, if Serenity or Firefly somehow was mixed in, I would have just passed out. That would have been the end of it for me. All right. So I, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Yep. Um, oh, we're I, also top six on horror, which is beyond, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. That, that's from support, though. Of course. We oh, have, yeah. like, friends and family support that are just pushing the movie, and they like it, I guess. And I mean, we've got some good good publicity going, too. Yeah, good PR. Yeah. So um, I'm happy with that. Well, my question to you. And Stacy did that movie with me. Say again, we love Stacey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is it. This is the between the line. The bold prediction is going to be that I really do believe, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting next to me and I hope to ride your coattails, which I do. Um, it's I really think this is going to get get some attention for you. I really think that um, you know it's we we're getting enough attention online. We're getting we're getting some reviews. You're being reviewed in some big places. Um, this to me feels like the sort of film to, for people to say, you know, he's between the line, but we're going to start pulling him to this side of the line now. Well, meaning, so. 
So some bigger. Well, it's not for me. Like the the crew on it is insane. Like oh, the production yes. design is for what we had and what we did. Nuts. Cinematography from Kevin is cuckoo. I mean, there's there's all kinds of great stuff. The, the and they haven't even seen the web series portion that'll be rolling out that you did, and I think it's fantastic as well. So I mean, there's a lot of people that I I hope. That's why I've been trying to say like, look. It's not celebrating my success. It's celebrating our success. And R is the all-encompassing term of indie film because it is a risky movie that makes a major tone shift that doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. And it's yeah. a big deal to do that. <laughs> I get it. But it's it's also that's the joy of indie film is I was able to take something that may not fall into the normal parameters. Yeah. It falls along those lines. And all of a sudden it jumps, you know, jumps the track. It doesn't jump the shark. It jumps the track and it changes but it comes back full circle and, and you know, yeah, that's the I, risk was, you take, right? Was, no, it was bold. And um, we even had the conversation as we were looking at the script and doing revisions that I thought this was, you know, a bold choice. You're making a very purposeful choices here that will be difficult, that will that will um, be, you know, hard, harder for people to to get to and to understand. But I think the people that take the time and invest will, you know, find it fulfilling. But my the point I'm trying to get at is... Um, Absolutely. Now that the crew and everybody, you know, we're, we're here, we're on this, this, we're looking at the edge. Do you feel any different? Is this, you know, because this is a pretty big deal. Like you're looking. No, it's exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. But I don't know if I feel any different. I yeah. feel, if anything, I get mad, more mad now than I used to. Because because it is more public eye, there are things that they call out that, that have nothing to do with crew. They're my choices yeah. that sometimes they throw the crew into that mix and it's not fair. Like it was something I made. Or they don't see what the genius that I saw behind the crew that put something together. Or they do and they praise it and that's the plus side. That's the upswing for me. Absolutely. But I mean, it, it comes down to just, it, it comes down to the reality for me where I feel good is that I have... I, it has been reinforced in my mind that I am surrounded by lovely human beings who not only support my insanity, they also encourage it and, and they, and they contribute to it, but in turn it's cyclical. So as they're doing that, I'm doing that for them and the support, whether they're film people or they're just friends, what's happening is you're seeing like it's making a circle. So somebody that worked on convergence goes on to do something else. Well, maybe that was their first movie or maybe they learned something that will become pivotal any of that. So that support is helping just a, an entire community where it goes from there. I have no idea, but they learned something and picked up something and grew. So it's basically like the support is watering the seed. And if it grows into like a mighty tree and we have like long life, right? Fantastic. If we're not, and we're just seasonal, that's cool too. I mean, I want it to be long life, but you know, but I, I see a person next to me and you know, I, I have to be honest. You're, you're my best friend. So I'm biased. But I see a person who's worked very hard, very long, uh, very determined, and um, you know I just want to say congratulations. Uh, I think that you've done an excellent job with this film. But my bias and all, I do you know think with with some objectivity um, that it is uh, um, a, a good film and it's worthy of of this and much more. So uh, I'm I'm very proud of you, and I'm proud of your crew, and I'm proud of being a part of this. So. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. But I think, yes, not to deflect, I yeah. absorbed that. I thank you for it. On behalf of everyone, thank you. But you also have some interesting things. Somebody is going to be Mr. Fancy Pants World Traveler coming up here, and we can't technically say what it is. Right, right. But uh, it is a it is a film project. It is a film project. I mean, as and you do to go travel. <laughs> I do. 
Yeah, but he keeps saying get to go travel. I, you know, and I keep reminding. Look, I don't him. care if you're on a frozen <laughs> lake in Iceland. He's going to Iceland and potentially other places yeah. for how long? I'll be in Iceland for it looks like nine weeks. I mean, it's filmed. And this could air after the fact that you could be in Iceland right now as this I, is airing. I'll tell you, what, I will. You could be frozen right now. I will do. I will do at least one hold the roll from the Arctic Circle. Okay, that, I'll, I'll do that, it on my What phone. other podcast can say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the dedication we have is to send you. Our foreign correspondent, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will, I will do. I'll try to do some interviews for us and stuff. We'll get some things going while I'm uh, while I'm on the road, as it were. If you can pull some stuff together, it'd be great. I think it'd just be fun, but not just for the show, but just in general, having conversations with people that are obviously you're working on something that has enough money to support that kind of stuff. So, like, are well, you nervous at all about the travel? I mean, what is your what is your brain like? Because you're gone for a while, you're separated from your wife. Yeah, um, maybe it, that's a good thing. Uh, Yay. No, it's not. No. No. Um, it, it's a mixed bag of emotions, as all this stuff is. Uh, especially also as it's it's funny how these things time out. Because, <clears throat> uh, you know, I do visual effects technical work on big films, and I've done some, you know, you know the credits look really good. And while I'm not uh, at the top tier, I'm, you know, I, I think I do good work, and I think people, you know, think my work is good, so they hire me more. Um but I, um, I took, a, I took a, a leap of faith, and last year I came here and we pushed films together. Um, we were finishing out Convergence, and we were working on our project Ether. We're doing a few other projects, trying to get them going. And uh, as we all know, in the film industry, it, it goes on its own time, not ours. So just, <laughs> just as I'm you know, getting, I need to refill the coffers, right? I saved up enough money, but now I need to... Um, do some work and and you know i gotta pay the bills that's the thing you know we gotta eat and no matter what we do in this business we still it's still business and we have to um continue to live our lives and i'm very happy very grateful to get this job um it's amazing it's an amazing opportunity but my heart you know is also wanting to stay here with you and my you know we're, as convergence is starting to hit and other opportunities are starting to happen i'm i'm a bit you know i'm like i'm sad that i'm going away and leaving this amazing creative thing that we've been working on for so long and you know i'll still be there i'll still be calling in we'll still have our meetings we'll still have uh we'll still have this podcast but it won't be that day-to-day creative thing and I'll, I'll i'll miss that and i'm a little you know i'm sad that i'm not gonna be around that um also with you know with family uh you know moving back here also moved um you know back toward near my mom and uh, you know, there's nostalgia. You know, I'm looking at my childhood home and I'm helping my mom fix things up and I'm going away again. And I don't know, it's just that nostalgia of seeing like the things that I used to play on as a small child and literally they're rotting from age. Like right, we have to replace right. the bulkhead on the water and it's literally falling apart. And it's just this emblematic image that I have of time moving on and I'm not a young kid anymore making movies in my head. You know, we're making movies uh, the best we can for real. And uh, you know, just, it brings it together. But then on the other side, I'm going to the Arctic Circle, and damn it, I'm going to see the Northern Lights. Right, something yeah. very few people get to ever experience. And, yeah, I'm you know, I'm really excited about that. No, and that's awesome. I mean, that, that's the whole thing, right? And you know, I like like I've I've told you before, I celebrate the fact that as a professional, you have put yourself in a position through hard work, uh, through dedication, through you know uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom, and 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 asserting yourself. You've put yourself in a position to experience these things, right? Um, and again, below the line on a show like this is, mm-hmm. is not like being below the line 
on you know somebody's uh, backyard short film. Right. You know, it's a legitimately real business proposition. So it does it does put you in a good spot to you know grow yourself absolutely and grow your family and protect them and all that. So you know, congratulations, you'll be missed. Thank you. Um, I will do lots of podcasts without you uh, uh. on purpose. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Now that he's free, no. we can do whatever we want. And, uh, and look, I'm also, you know, uh, my wife, Kate, um, she just got her green card. Maybe we'll bring Kate in. She could be my, my, my fill-in. Yeah. That'd be good. That's kind of fun. Then right. we have, like, you know, we have a, a, a female voice. Yeah, that, that'd be good. And she has an accent. Yeah, she's got a fun accent. And you can make fun of her accent. It could be your dream. Uh, this is my dream. It is your dream. It one is of, one dream. of Drew's dreams is to follow uh, my wife, Kate, around with a camera and capture all the uh, interesting uh, bits and pieces when she says something and has no idea that what she said might be totally normal in New Zealand, but is kind of offensive here. What was it? Um, nappies. Yeah. Yeah. What was the... Because the, nappies in New Zealand mean... mean um, uh, diapers. Yeah. And in here it was used in a derogatory way in, in the past. So, yeah. like... She didn't really. She didn't realize yeah. that you just don't. We just don't say that word. Yeah. We just try and leave that word alone. And yeah. Just let it be what it is. But but in New Zealand, it's just it's a diaper. Yeah. 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 Which so, is always confusing. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna miss her, but uh, she'll fly out and uh, see me in Iceland. We have a rule. This is one of the things we talk about existing. You know, the person right. keeping the personal life um, in the strange world of film. Um, uh, last year, the year before, in 2014, I was on the road for quite a bit. I went on, <clears throat> and, uh, I was, we were away from each other for five weeks or six weeks at one point. Um, and we decided after that, I mean, it didn't damage the relationship or anything, but we decided that's just too long. And one of the kind of rules that we've decided is three weeks, uh, um, if we're gone for more than three weeks, there has to be some arrangement either to come visit or to come along with them if they get a job in, on the same show or uh, just come to the same city or however we do that. So um, while, while that can get expensive when flying your wife. Yeah, it's worth it, though. It's totally worth it. And it keeps you grounded in reality, too, because sometimes like the film bubble, the set bubble, like once you hit set and, it, you know, we have a project going on right now where, where we're doing some production support for, for a project. And to them, everything's like, oh, my God, I need it right now. You yeah. know, because they're in the environment bubble of movie production. I got to I gotta yeah. go now. Yeah. But the outside world's like just moving along at the normal pace that everybody does. Exactly. And so I'm trying to because to, I have to do stuff for them. So I'm trying to help them get the pieces they need. But I constantly get those reminders. So I think bringing someone from the outside of the bubble in the moment to inside the bubble is a nice way to tie it together. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping keeping myself between the line. Hey! Hey, Zingo! Ha-ha! All right, well, with that said, we will kind of wrap it up. Yeah. So, anything? Thank, thank our sponsors. We need to, you know, we keep free. We're terrible at this whole podcasting thing. I, I think we're pretty good. We, we keep forgetting to send people to our website and to email <laughs> oh, Yeah, that stuff. part. Yeah, we yeah. should probably... The self-promotion yeah. thing. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's well, a lesson. What's our website again? Yeah, uh, 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 frame29films.com. We don't have a between the line website? Yet? No, no. It just drives. Just go to frame29films. You'll see it. It says BTL podcast right on okay. the top. It's easy and to find. Email us at between the line podcast at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Nice. Um, you know, or you can also, if you want to follow along, um, the they're doing something cool with social media on uh, Convergence Movie. Um, even go back and look at it. If you go to Instagram, uh, they've been doing like these before and after. So you'll actually see a scene behind the scenes oh, cool. for a couple seconds or seven or eight or whatever. Yeah. And then it shows you the actual scene that we used. Ah. So you kind of see the before and after. Nice. It's like instant gratification on it. 15 uh, seconds long. And that's have... at Convergence Movie on Instagram. 
And we have a Between the Line Facebook page. We do have a Between the Line Facebook page. You can find find us on uh, Facebook. At Between the Line Podcast, right? That is correct. Yeah. And you can make fun of us on Facebook. Yeah. Which is nice. The more like, we share, the more we all win. Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Fosco Coffee Bar and ScreenplayReaders.com. And uh, thanks uh, for the engineering crew, which is basically just Drew Hall and Chris Law. <laughs> Chris does the Chris does more than anyone anyone should know. Uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So uh, with that said, stay frosty, stay legal, and cut. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network. <laughs>